0: This morning, congregation, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55. This morning, Isaiah 55. I'll read the entire chapter, but take as our sermon text this morning the first five verses. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." This is the word of the Lord, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. May I ask you please, congregation, to keep your Bibles open to verses 1 through 5 this morning as the word of God is preached. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you do when your world comes crashing down around you? When everything seems to fall apart, all your plans, all your hopes are dashed, they crumble. Things that you thought would bring you joy, bring you success, bring you happiness and satisfaction end up being a great disappointment. It seems as though every road you've taken is a dead end. Now that's precisely what the people of Israel were experiencing here in the prophecy of Isaiah. And what Isaiah the prophet is addressing. A people who in the beginning part of this prophecy had been told of impending doom, impending judgment. Captivity by a foreign nation, if you can believe that. Being carted off in chains. Having your homes flattened. Everything ruined. What about the promises of God? What about this nation that was to be set apart from all other nations? What's going to happen? Is there a future for God's people? Is there a future for us? And then, at chapter 40, the Lord declares there is hope. There's the message of comfort. Comfort. Comfort my people says the lord speak words of peace why because the lord is going to bring deliverance how he will bring deliverance to his people through a servant a servant that he sends to flatten the hills to straighten what was crooked the announcement is coming that salvation is near And how will God bring about that salvation? He'll bring it about by that servant laying down his life. You have Isaiah 53, of course. That beautiful passage describing the nature of of our salvation. It is substitution, is it not? And what the Lord's Supper this morning declares to us is that God does for us what you and I could not do for ourselves. We had no possibility of doing it for ourselves. And the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, lays down his life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He's described as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, blameless, innocent, and yet he is slaughtered. He does not protest. He remains silent. He gives his life as a pleasing sacrifice to God. And as a result of that saving work, as a result of the Father receiving that sacrifice and being pleased with it, He expands the the ministry of God's people. Enlarge your tents, He says in chapter 54. Enlarge your tents. The Word is going out beyond Israel, beyond the, the land of Canaan. The, the word is going out. The message of salvation is for all peoples. Hard to imagine that in a day when the people were looking at captivity. And as that word goes out, we come to our text this morning, chapter 55, and the great invitation. And what an appropriate call this morning to the table of our Lord. It's full of imperatives, full of commands. Come, buy, eat, live, celebrate. That's what we're called to do this morning. Look with me this morning at our text, verses one through five, in terms of, first of all, who's invited? To whom is this invitation given? Is it given to the high and mighty, the self righteous? those who are considered better than others? And what are they offered secondly? What is signified and sealed to us at the table of our Lord this morning? Why bread? Why wine? And then on what basis can that invitation be given? And here the Lord, through His prophet, speaks of the the covenant promise given long ago to King David. It's on that basis that the invitation goes out to us here at Grace, but also throughout the world. Come, buy, eat and live." Notice first of all, who is invited? The word at the beginning of this chapter in verse one, "Come.". It's a Strong word of announcement, much like a, a street vendor would issue, yelling out for people, come, buy, I have it here. Finally, at last, everyone who thirsts, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Who are invited, first of all, Everyone who thirsts. Now, boys and girls, the prophet here is speaking not just about people who have the physical thirst. But the Bible here is speaking about something that we find throughout the scriptures. A theme that's woven throughout the scriptures. That is that God has created every one of us. Every human being is created with this inward desire for something greater than ourselves. We have been created with a desire for God. A desire to find meaning, purpose, satisfaction, fulfillment in God and in God alone. That's the very fabric, we would say, of the world in which you and I live. It reminds me of what Ecclesiastes says, God has placed eternity in man's heart. One of the most significant passages, I think, not just in Ecclesiastes, but in all of Scripture. God has placed eternity in your heart, your heart, so that the good gifts that God gives us in this world, as much as we may enjoy them, will never give us full satisfaction. Whether it be family, whether it be our careers, whether it be our pleasurable pursuits, whatever it may be, we can pursue those things and yet they will not substitute for the joy that can be found only in God himself. There is a thirst. And the scripture, of course, is replete with this sort of imagery. Think of Psalm 42 as the deer pants for streams of water. Soul, my soul thirsts for you, O Lord. There's this intensity of desire, an intensity to find meaning, to find purpose, to find ultimate satisfaction. And other Psalms speak that way too. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you remember, in his earthly ministry, spoke along these same lines. He travels to Samaria and in the middle of day appears at a well. It's an unusual time, by the way, to appear at a well to drink water. Most people would get their water early in the morning or late at night when the, the temperatures were cooler. But here he finds this woman. What is a woman doing in the middle of a day, of day at the, the well? Well, he strikes up the conversation with her that ultimately reveals that she is a woman with a checkered past. And she thinks she's doing him a favor by taking a jar and being able to give him a drink of water. When he, in fact, says, no, I have something much better to give to you. I offer to you water that if you drink of that water, you will never thirst again. Because he knows that behind the facade is a deeply broken woman. A woman whose past reveals numerous partners. And the man that she's with now is not even her husband. The whole community knows that. She has this profound spiritual need. We might say a profound spiritual thirst. And Jesus, as it were, points her to that in himself. Or you think of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Certainly an amazing thing in a day when food was not readily available. To have a man who can feed thousands simply by speaking the word. That sort of miracle man is someone you want to follow. Someone who is mighty impressive and yet he says, you follow me only because I keep your bellies full. But rather seek the bread which is from above. Sent by the Father. Again, pointing to himself. If you eat of that bread, said Jesus, you will never hunger again. And of course, some of the people, when they hear this, they're appalled. They're deeply offended. They say, is this man talking cannibalism? Drinking his, his blood? Eating his flesh? And it said at that point, many left. Many departed from him. They were turned off by him. And Jesus utters those words to his disciples. Are you going to leave me too? And they say, where can we go to? For you alone have the words of life. Come, everyone who thirsts. What is it that you are thirsting for, ultimately? Maybe you are finding that things are not as satisfying as you thought they would be. Jesus says, come. Come if you thirst, and I will give you that which will satisfy for all eternity. And he who has no money, secondly, that's who the invitation is extended to. He who has no money, he who is bankrupt. Now notice the language here. You have your Bibles in front of you in verse 1. He who has no money, come and buy. Now how can that be? How can you buy if you have no money? We'll say more about that in just a moment. But it's a recognition that we come to the Lord With no strength in ourselves, no no motivation in ourselves. We don't come proclaiming our righteousness. We, We come to the Lord, as it were, this morning with empty hands. Do we not? With hearts and souls that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus said, remember, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Of course, you realize that there are many people today who hear that language and say, well, you see, this just proves that Christianity is nothing but a crutch for weak people, right? And we don't, we don't admire weak people. We admire the strong people, the self-made person. That's a very American quality. The self-made man, the self-made woman, And Jesus pronounces in his kingdom, blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. If you recognize your own spiritual bankruptcy. That's how we come, brothers and sisters, to the table of our Lord this morning. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. As the hymn states. Come. By. And eat. So, what is offered? You can see three things water, wine, and milk. And I think those are very deliberate things that are specified. What does water do? Water quenches. Picture yourself in a desert. You haven't had a drop of water for hours, maybe even days, and you're on the verge of collapsing. Your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth. You long for anything, a drop of water to cool, to quench your mouth. Jesus says, come. Come to the waters. If you're spiritually spiritually thirsting, come, and I will quench that thirst. And he talks about wine. And despite what some people might want to tell you, wine in the Bible is a very positive thing. Wine in the Bible throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, symbolizes what? Joy. Joy in the kingdom of heaven. It is no surprise, it is no mere coincidence that Jesus' first public miracle was doing what? Turning water into wine. Not grape juice, wine. You say, well, what was the significance of that? Well, not only that he was giving his blessing, his approval to the institution of marriage, but also that his presence upon the earth, the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, is a joyous occasion. You remember how his disciples were even criticized for that. And Jesus was criticized for that. Why is it, they said to Jesus, that your disciples, they feast, they celebrate, John the Baptist's disciples they fast. Do you remember how Jesus responded to that? He said, "You know, as long as the bridegroom is is among them, you feast, you celebrate. But the time is coming when the bridegroom will leave. That will be a time for fasting." Why? wine that jesus not only performs in his first miracle but when he institutes the lord's supper he institutes the lord's supper by the use of bread and wine the kingdom of heaven it is symbolic of feasting of celebration and then also he says, come, by wine and milk. Milk corresponds to richness, to blessing, to abundance. The land of Canaan, of course, was described as a land overflowing with milk and honey. It's that which nourishes, that which sustains, that which ultimately blesses us. And Jesus says, that is what I have come to do. Not only quench your spiritual thirst, not only to proclaim the joy of the kingdom, but I have come to to give you spiritual nourishment. That's why this morning we don't simply look at the elements of bread and wine, do we? Do we? We're not just going to walk past the table and then back to our pews. Take, eat, remember, and believe. That... That imagery of eating, digesting, is the imagery of faith. That we appropriate the work of Jesus Christ by faith and we are sustained. We are blessed by it. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It is given freely. It is given generously. Unlike the food of Babylon, which perhaps by that point they had experienced at length, it was expensive. It was scarce. I mean, we can only remotely understand what that must have been like. We complain about the inflation rate. We complain about the the shelves not being as full as we're accustomed to seeing them. Many of us have never known the kind of scarcity that the people of Israel saw or that some of you have seen from years ago where there's nothing on the shelf or what is available is so expensive that nobody can afford it. But the food of the covenant is freely given and it is abundant. Listen diligently Eat what is good and delight yourselves, the older version said, delight yourselves in the richest affair. But notice also the question that is posed in verse 2. I think one of the most important questions that the Scripture asks of us, of the world around us, but of you this morning, for our purposes... Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's a call to introspection. That's a call that is to look deeply into your own hearts. And maybe this morning what the scripture is calling you to do as you come to the Lord's table is to examine your own motivation in life. Have you been thinking that satisfaction, that real joy can be found in the pursuit of of wealth, material pleasure? That all you need is your family or the right group of friends, popularity, being accepted in the right kind of circles, success. Success. Oh, if only I had this success, the, the level of a success that I want to attain, if only I had that, then I would be satisfied. You see, verse 2 brings about that question of if only. Fill in the blank. If only I had blank, I would be satisfied. How many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us, would answer that by placing something in that blank other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. If only I was successful. If only I was wealthy. If only I was in good health. If only I had this. If only I had that. Then all would be well. And the Lord's answer to that is... Why are you spending your money on things that won't satisfy? My contemporary translation of verse 2 is this. The Lord is saying to you, why are you dumpster diving for your food? You ever seen that? I remember as a kid... My dad is a a farmer. We raise vegetables, and we would have to deliver the vegetables to the wholesaler on South Water Street Market in Chicago in the middle of the night because of the traffic during the day. So we go in the middle of the night. I remember as a young child seeing, as we loaded up to the loading dock, backed up to the loading dock, I'd see the headlights shining on these boxes, and I'd see men crawling out of boxes or crates. Today we call them the homeless back then, We refer to them as bums. And to see people scrounging through the garbage. Have you ever seen someone dumpster dive? Going behind a restaurant, a fast food restaurant, opening up the lid on the dumpster, trying to find their food there? I want that image to stick with you this morning because the Lord says, if you are seeking satisfaction in anything but God himself and in the gospel of Jesus Christ itself, you are doing the equivalent of dumpster diving. And you think that you're going to live on that. Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? I can't answer that question for you. You have to answer it for yourself as you take of the elements today. But I believe that when we come to the table of the Lord, we are saying... As we sang this morning from Psalm 34, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. At the very beginning of our service, we sang from Psalm 63. These are very deliberately chosen, of course, in the order of worship. The loving kindness of my God is more than life to me. Do you mean that? Do you mean that? the loving kindness of my God is more than life to me. How can this be possible, this invitation? How can we buy that which we have no money for? And the answer is in verses 3 through 5. The reference is to the covenant that God made with david in second samuel chapter seven of course where he promises that david's throne would endure forever and people of course are saying but wait a minute we've just seen the monarchy destroyed ah but one would come the messiah the king king david's greater son the lord jesus christ And he would proclaim a kingdom in which he would reign. And he would reign by means of humbling himself even to the point of death and then being raised to glory. Something that, at least initially, the disciples say this cannot be. This cannot be. How does one stoop? How does one humble himself? How does someone reign from a cross? But this is what the Lord promises. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has, the older versions say, he has endowed you with splendor. This text reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis, the Christian author and theologian spoke about in one of his essays. He said that the problem with mankind is not that mankind's desire is too great, but rather his desire is too small. And by that he meant, and he used this illustration, he said, it's as if you have a little boy who lives in the slums, and he goes out on the street and plays in the mud puddle and makes mud pies and he thinks as he's in the in the slum that this is as good as life can get playing in the mud in a slum in the filth when not that far away is a beautiful beach where he can vacation cs lewis says that's the problem with mankind mankind pursues this he pursues that he pursues fame he pursues wealth he he pursues his own physical pleasures the problem is those pleasures are not too great they're too small when god offers himself in the gospel god offers himself at the table of our lord jesus christ You'll hear the language this morning. We are called not to to drag Jesus Christ down into the table, into the elements, but rather we are lifted up into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we dine, we feast with him. And so, brothers and sisters, this morning, are you paying close attention to the call of the gospel through the prophet Isaiah? From this table and from this pulpit is issued the call. Come. Come. Buy. Buy. Even though in yourself you have no money, your pockets are empty. Come. You're blessed if you are poor in spirit. You you are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Come and buy. And eat. By faith knowing that Jesus Christ has given of himself and live. This is the call of the gospel. If you come by faith, you will enjoy, I assure you, you will enjoy the richest of foods. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord. We come, Father, not as those proclaiming our own righteousness, our own goodness, our own merits or worth, but rather we come proclaiming the righteousness and the fullness of Jesus Christ as our salvation. And so for all who are hungry, for all who are thirsting, For all who seek satisfaction, may we leave this table and this service this morning proclaiming in our hearts and with our mouths, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. Hear us then, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.